1: Testing, testing, testing. Okay. Hi, I'm Susanna Espy. And I'm Lila.
2: And you're listening to
0: 3CR. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to Elders past, present and, sorry, past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty.
3: 3CR Breakfast. Oh, yeah. Alternative news, analysis, Clap and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8:30am. Only double. Clap Clap your <laughs>
0: <laughs> Baby.
4: Baby.
1: <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, George is back. Yeah. Woohoo. Finally. Yes. <laughs>
0: You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. With Miss Georgie Maxwell. Good morning. And myself, Lauren.
1: And we're missing two of our regulars today, unfortunately. Will we ever
0: be four again? (laughs) That's
1: so bleak. I hope we
0: will. Yeah. Ayan is on work placement and she's not listening to us, she made that very clear, but we still miss you. And Mm. Anya should be listening, she's awake and texting me, so Hi Uh, Anya.
1: Good morning. Mm. Today's a bit of a momentous day for me was the first time that I successfully de my front window of my car. Stop it. Yeah. Congratulations. I know you showed me several times. No, 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 that's good. <laughs> How did you feel? It was incredible to see out an uninterrupted view. <laughs> <laughs> it's very oh my exciting. God, if there any police officers <laughs> listening. <laughs> oh,
0: honey. It was freezing this morning, though. I mm. thought my nose was going to snap off. But it's kind of nice. Nice? Well, it just really makes you appreciate are more <laughs> that's true when you've gone through this
1: yeah but we've got a long way to go
0: yeah well we both work in offices <laughs> um so we have a huge show today mm. actually and yes. you know those moments where um life imitates art or like in my case radio imitates what's going on in my head it's really nice because lately i've been thinking and you know those things where, okay People talk about this all the time, so this is not a revolutionary thought. However, it really occurred to me the other day that people of our generation don't feel the same way about collective action as people of previous generations because everything is so individualized and it's so, like, build your personal brand and, like, you have to be the the star of your own Instagram life or whatever and there's not that recognition of the same, like, everybody has to pitch in a little bit and even if people don't see the work, it's still really important, um, you know, and we've we've put people like Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King on a pedestal for good reason, but it kind of ignores all of the work of particularly the women and the men behind them. And so um, I've been thinking a lot about that for various reasons, but in really beautiful, you know, call it fate, whatever you want, um, we have a couple of interviews today about the importance of collective action in contemporary society and in things that people can do right now and not as the Instagram stars of their own lives and not in, in any way um, at the front of, of a movement, but contributing really importantly to, um, firstly, um, for the Solidarity and Defence Fund. So we're talking about legal action for people who have gotten in trouble with the police, I suppose, for um, for standing up for people's rights and against fascism. Um, and then we'll be speaking with Mariki Onis, um, who is from the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance and is currently on Japurung Country, um, trying to save sacred life-giving trees and is asking the community to support this movement because it is really important. And we'll hear more about why. Um, but these are two things that, you know, the community really needs to get behind in order to make a change. And I just, I don't know, I'm really excited about today's show. I feel like we're going to going to hear some really inspiring important work happening
1: that's really cool yeah mm, that's a, that's great, a huge totally monologue no yeah. sorry but i think that's yeah that's definitely something that we've felt coming into the 3cr yeah. space that yeah. where there is that apathy and and people not quite engaging like being mm-hmm. aware of issues but not being not feeling like they can engage with them and then coming to this space and realizing that you really can and there's lots of very specific ways that yes. you can get involved and even if you
0: Even if it doesn't feel like you're making the most difference, every bit of difference makes a difference. If Mm. that, yeah? Yeah.
1: Um, Who are you interviewing? So I'm going to be speaking with Rachel Cook, who is going to be talking about this conference that's coming up. It is uh, an LGBTIQ Women's Health Conference, and Mm -hmm. it's in its fourth year. Awesome. Sounds incredible and very important um, conference to have, and I think they talk about research and different issues. And I think that the the theme for this year is research, uh, resilience, and respect. Awesome. So I'm really excited to hear about what that means. Yeah, totally.
0: Yep. I had a look at a sneaky look at the program. Yeah. Um, for last year's last night. And oh, cool.
1: I didn't, yeah. I didn't check it out actually. No, it just looks really
0: well. We'll we'll let Rachel show Yeah. You. <laughs> um, but we will also be having um early this morning a tribute to Candy Royale. Um, who many listeners will know and love and be very sad about the passing of. So we'll be going into that straight after some news headlines from George. So please do stick around so you can hear some beautiful work from Candy.
1: Sounds great. Mm. All right, so to jump into the headlines. uh, Erdogan has been re-elected, winning nearly 53% of the vote. The votes are yet to be completely counted. They'll be finalised on Friday. He will be assuming new powers under a constitution which... Um, Concerns a weakened parliament, eradicating the position of the prime minister and giving him more executive power. And there's been criticism because of uh, control over the media and that he's had uh, that 90% of the media has been pro government. And winning this election means that he will be able to stay in power until 2023, Mm. which will mean if that goes ahead that he would have been in power for 20 years. It's so horrific. (laughs)
0: He just and for listeners who aren't aware Erdogan is um, we're talking about uh, elections that recently happened in Turkey um, and yeah he's just he's just awful mm. I don't know if I'm allowed to is that defamatory I don't care is he, he's awful he <laughs> I is, don't know if you'd be listening to uh, I uh, <laughs> <you> <laughs>
1: know, well maybe you should actually, that would make him a better
0: leader I um I had a weird approach by Turkish state news a couple of years ago to interview me about a report I wrote which I thought was really um. I mean, I didn't think too much of it at the time, but um, the further along I get into this journey of finding out how much of a, an autocratic government they have, the further I'm like, wow.
1: Anyway. So they wanted to check out something that you had?
0: Yeah, yeah, they wanted to um, to discuss. And, and I don't know, make of this what you will, dear listeners, but they, I, I was involved in writing a report about um, the expansion of personal and non-reviewable powers of the Immigration Minister, um, and they wanted to do a bit of a deep dive into... Into those powers and talk about how um, how people structure this kind of non-reviewable, all-consuming. We called it playing god type of power. So, oh gosh, now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, I wonder if that was a fact gathering mission. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow, well, there anyway, you go. You can control headlines. the media in Turkey, but you can't control <laughs> Lauren Bull and Tracey. <laughs> Um, So the federal court has rejected Pryor and NADA's appeal against deportation. So for listeners who um, aren't aware, that's the Tamil family that um, have been fighting to stay in this country for quite some time now. Um, The Australian Border Force has now issued a notice of deportation, which could result in their deportation within days. Uh, The ABC has has quoted um, a solicitor at the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre Uh, Carlin Graydon, stating that the ABF has made a clear attempt to deny the family their legal rights and that the timing of the removal notice demonstrates a lack of regard or respect for people's rights to consider their options, get proper advice about whether they have grounds for an appeal and to lodge their appeal. This is really upsetting. Mm. Um, And that could be within days. I haven't checked today whether there's been an update. but I'm not sure. Yeah, so Mm. we'll have to keep a close eye on that. Um, in World Cup news, yeah, <laughs> Mexico's president, Peña Nieto, has used presidential decrees to change a statute that protected 40% of the nation's watersheds. 300 high, oh, I'm going to say this wrong, hydro- hydraulical. Hydraulical? Yeah. Uh, watersheds used for mining and fracking will now be privatised, draining 50% of Mexico's river water and seawater. It will be now used for lucrative purposes by either directly privatising water management or giving water concessions. Indigenous, agrarian and rural communities will be the most affected by the decree. So, I guess this isn't the first time that countries have used sporting events to advance damaging policies, and it's happening now similarly in Russia. Um, Al Jazeera has reported that during this World Cup, Russia has increased the pension age from 53 to 63 for women and 60 to 65 for men. You saw the whole (laughs) world looking the other way. No, it just, yeah. yeah. It's disturbing, right? That that, that it's a deliberate, you know, that governments go, okay, everyone's going to be watching this, now let's see what we can. You know, yes, absolutely.
0: I think and it's always worth, um, you know, checking what um, what the Australian government has on, you know, go on the Parliament House website and just checking what's happening on the day of, for example, the Barnaby Joyce interview or, um, yes, a major sporting event or a public holiday, like grand final notorious. Like this is where difficult, upsetting legislation is always going to be try. They're always going to try and pass it. Yeah, and um. it's so
1: important just to know. Hey, mm. just the knowledge that you know. Absolutely. And if and if news outlets aren't aren't putting it out there, just go to go straight to the source and do mm. your own research and find out. Yeah. Yes. Um, In Trump news, Trump is calling for the U.S. to abandon its judicial system and deport people entering the country. Uh, Via tweet, he said that when somebody comes in, we must immediately, with no judges or court cases, bring them back from where they came. That's a direct quote. Um, In the last week, more than 2,300 children have been removed from their parents by U.S. officials. Trump continues to push the rhetoric of people invading his country, warning that immigrants could infest the U.S. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> Sigh. I, I mean, <laughs> No yeah. further comment. No.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have Just an immigration no. minister. What did he say? That, um...
1: The suicide thing?
0: Yeah, and, and... Yes, and that compassion, um... We can't give in to compassion.
1: Right. A war against compassion. <laughs>
0: I mean... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. It's extreme, isn't it? It is extreme. It's quite, um... Yeah. I don't know. Feeling bit feeling a bit bleak this week. Should we go to a song by I Candy? Think we with shall yeah. definitely. This song is really. This song is also quite um, quite emotionally affecting, but it's it's very beautiful. And um, and I, the reason that I thought it would be particularly nice to play today is it's um, it's by beautiful Candy, who we will talk about after the song. But also. Um, As I said earlier, Mariki owners from the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance will be joining us later in the program to talk about sacred life-giving trees that are really important um, to the Aboriginal um, people of Australia, the traditional owners of the land. And so I wanted to kind of tie that together because um, I think we don't really understand enough about why these trees are sacred. And so hopefully Mariki will talk a bit more about it, but we are talking about life-giving. And so... This song is called Birthing the Sky and Birthing the Sea and it is by Candy Royale and the Freed Radicals. And that was Birthing the Sky, Birthing the Sea by Candy Royale and the Freed Radicals. So we wanted to play that, um, and we'll play a poetry performance by Candy in a minute. Um, In a bit of a tribute, um, Candy passed away last week. Um, She was quite ill, um, and Candy was... um, I have a really beautiful list here um, by somebody who was friendly with her and who's a producer at the studio, and I might just read it out because it... um, he was a queer woman, an artist, a poet, a storyteller, an activist, and an educator. She sang about capitalism, society, and sexuality. She was an award-winning performing writer, performance artist. Um, she was a vulnerability advocate who fused cinematic storytelling, poetry, and unique vocal rhythms with confronting, political, and heart-thumping content, seeking to break open closed hearts. She liked to tackle topics ranging from sexual obsession to social injustice and explored the human condition and illuminated the darker areas of the human psyche for her audience. She leaves behind a, an outpouring of grief, it seems, in a community um, across Australia. The artistic community, the queer community, I have just haven't seen this kind of um, collective sadness. In a long time it seems like she's um yeah it's a big loss mm. and so we are going to play now um oh, there we go this is a um a poetry performance by candy a couple of years ago at the bankstown poetry slam um i'm not going to say anymore i'm just going to press play because this is quite moving um and if you like it you can also find it on youtube later
3: Thank you, he said. Thank you for, ther- for sharing the stories of our people. As though I had a right, having never lived under the constant strain of fight or flight. As though I had expressed something his own vocal cords could not wrap themselves around. Have you been back to the motherland? I asked. Yes, yes. He replied, in 2009, when the Israeli Defense Force ran my brother over He was standing at a checkpoint waiting to go to work when they drove straight over him. Uh, Like he wasn't my brother. Like he didn't have his own family. Like he wasn't a human being. Like he didn't even exist. I imagine his brother's vocal cords stretch then snap blood spurting from mouth as tyre pushes into neck. This man's vocal cords get tangled now a strangled sigh as he closes his eyes to stop tears falling. You won't cry in front of me, strangers though our blood stems from the same ancestors and historical tree. I can't put my hand on his shoulder, me a young woman, him an old man, there's too much to stop us, too little between us, just some words I wrap my vocal cords around. I turn to give him privacy in his grief and listen as he shuffles away, I want to turn back and say, those perpetrators of violence use their vocal cords to lie, they've no humanity left. So whilst your brother is dead, and many others too, we have to use what voice is left to spread truth. He doesn't want to hear that. He knows it already. Who am I but an imposter in his sorrow? These vocal cords of mine are too often prostrate, incompetent when confronted by a pain that stretches over multiple generations of genocide. Later... He will pack far too many sweets into containers and give them to me. Finally, we will have permission to touch momentarily as our fingers brush. Without eye contact, he asks if I've ever been there. No, but it calls. It calls, even though its vocal cords have been severed by decades of violent occupation, the world calls it a war because its vocal cords won't utter the words murder. I hear the collective clamor of vocal cords resisting, knowing that their voices rise through me. My ancestors gave me this battle cry, so whilst my own vocal cords remain free, I am obligated to tell their stories, and the world, it is obligated to listen, then join in until all our vocal cords chant in unison for a new history to be written. Thank you.
4: Each year, the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival curates world-class local and international features direct from some of the hottest, most prestigious documentary film festivals in the world, like Cannes, Doc, New York City, South by Southwest and Sundance. This year, opening night is on Friday the 6th of July at 7pm at Cinema Nova Carlton. The festival kicks off with Film Worker, the incredible true story of Stanley Kubrick's mysterious assistant. For more details, go to mdff.org.au. See you there. The Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a 3CR supporter.
0: Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast on 3 cr You just heard a performance at the Bankstown Poetry Slam in 2016 by Candy Royale, um, just in a little bit of a tribute to an incredible performer, storyteller and um, life force. And now we are going to go to a song, I believe, but George is looking at me. So, George is back. George is the brains behind the music operation at 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. <laughs> I mean, I can certainly put on Beyonce's new song if you want. I have a clean version. Oh, she really wants it. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> um, in that case, this song is dedicated to Ayan because I know that you love it. Um, and this is Beyonce and Jay-Z, but really Beyonce. It's a clean version, so don't worry. But the song is called Ape. I'll leave the rest to your imagination. And we still got
3: our...
1: And we're back at Tuesday breakfast. It is 7.31.
0: Already? Yeah. Oh, do you know what? I'm going to check the weather. Who was that that we were just listening to? Oh,
1: good question. So that was Nicole Willis with a song called Still Got A Way To Fall. It's a really cool track. I love it. Mm. Um, I love songs that have sort of a bit of a political message.
0: You do. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It's nine degrees.
1: Wow. so much warmer than I thought. Um,
0: And it's going to be a top of... Oh, beautiful. It's going to be a top of 14 today.
1: Not bad, not bad.
0: Yeah, it's not <laughs> bad
1: at all, actually. <laughs> don't
0: know what I was complaining about. So, yep. are we going into a bit of alternative news? Sure, let's do it. Because every time we play the Nitty Gritty song now, I'm going to think of your mum. <laughs> this is for you, mum.
4: so folks know about...
0: Also thinking of Ruby now. Long time Tues—well, not long time. People who listened to Tuesday Breakfast last year
3: <laughs> <laughs> will remember her. Will remember Ruby.
0: Ruby. Yes, we um, we had dinner the other night, and she was saying that um, she still hears that song in her dreams,
1: probably with fear and yeah. anxiety. I was going to say nightmares. <laughs> <but> yeah. <laughs>
0: So, yes. what's happening in the world of Alt News?
1: So, we we wanted to talk a little bit about disgraced gynaecologist Emil Gade. Mm. Um, this has been a very disturbing story that The Guardian has been investigating. Um, so, for our listeners who aren't aware, um, Emil is a gynaecologist that's been working for the last 20 years in the regional town of Toree. Um, which is uh, on the mid-north north coast of New South Wales. Mm. And patients have been complaining about him for a very long time, but it's only it was only in 2015 that there was actually an investigation into um, misconduct. Mm. Um, and the recent reporting in The Guardian has sparked another investigation, which is not just looking into him but into the staff that he was working with and why nobody did anything, mm. um, because there's been reports of... Um, uh, issues with surgeries, dismissing of complaints, um, resulting experiences of trauma, so performing unnecessary surgeries, leaving women with serious infections and failing to get, to keep good medical records, mm. which is shocking that someone can be working, mm. practising medicine for, you know, 15, 20 years. Mm. How did no one, you know, report this?
0: I mean, there's so much... Um so many layers to this, but I think um, I think the story in the Guardian yesterday was really interesting in that um, it seems like in a lot of the follow up, um, you know, immediately after surgery, like I don't know the technical term for it, but the, the post surgery mm-hmm. checking in on people was done by other people, not him, and not necessarily people who work directly with him. So they may not have been aware if, for example, the surgery went poorly or he'd performed an unnecessary procedure and that sort of thing. So there was a lot of room for, I guess, for people to discount women's self-reporting about things. Um, But also maybe it seems like a lot of junior staff were the people who were checking up after surgeries. And I wonder if that's not to say that the junior staff were incompetent but i wonder if there was a bit of deference or a bit of fear about reprisal because we do know so much about um workplace bullying and that sort of thing within yeah. hospitals and yeah. medical community and i wonder if he i mean i don't know this is purely speculative he ha- was
1: he in the pa- like did he have a lot of power in that
0: exactly yeah. yeah and also just do, do people feel comfortable speaking up in that situation and what
1: and what i mean that's certainly a question for sure for the staff, but also mm-hmm. with the patients. It sounds like, from what the Guardian has reported in the article that you can read, is um, by Melissa Davy, mm. um, was that a lot of the, these patients, these women, have been scared to speak up about it because yep. it has actually been an extremely traumatic experience mm. for them. Um, and so you can really understand that. Hey, like you, especially if you don't have a lot of medical knowledge. Absolutely, and I think especially if it's
0: an unfamiliar. I mean. I don't want to overshare here, but I'm going to. My first pap smear was a horrific experience. It was so traumatizing, but I didn't know what a pap smear was supposed to be like. And so while it was happening, I just thought, this is really uncomfortable and quite humiliating, but I suppose this is how it goes. Mm. You know, oh, no wonder women think this is awful. And if people aren't talking about, I mean, you know, there are women here who had, for example, I think one of the women had one ovary removed. Yes, yes that wasn't
1: not, a necessary procedure. No, yeah. but it's
0: also not something that happens every day or if it happens every day it's not something that women typically talk about with one another um just as a regular thing which is another issue that you know we should get rid of that shame and all of that sort of thing but it's also not something where she would be able to have compared her experience to yeah. her friends and that sort of thing and think actually no this this is wrong I do I am entitled to feel upset or humiliated or hurt or whatever about this. Like if she didn't know, why would she question? You, you don't question your medical professionals yeah. enough.
1: And w- so did you? Did you report? No, I never have. Yeah. And so that would have been quite a, you know, huge thing to, you know. Mm. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. my mum
0: saying, "Oh no, that's like that's not that's not how it's supposed to go. Don't go back there." Yeah. Um, and you know, I probably should have reported it. And how's Adam sitting here looking at you now, thinking, "Yes, why, didn't I? but I was, you know, 19. Yeah.
1: And is it that, that kind of power dynamic between mm. the patient and the, do- the doctor as well? Absolutely. And your doctor is... I think we also can't
0: discount that the doctor is a man here. Um, and <laughs> the female doctors that I've had, I will feel much more comfortable being honest with them about pain I'm feeling or discomfort, or and I, I'm less likely to feel humiliated in any kind of um, situation. But I do wonder if that played into it for some of the women, the fact that he was a male and you're talking about an area of your body in which, like, there are women here who say that they specifically didn't want him to be their gynecologist. which
1: is, I mean, that's really disturbing when you read. So in that article, um, there's a lot of uh, accounts of of Mm. the victims and they talk about how it was known in the community that he was a doctor that you didn't want to have. Mm. And there was one woman who they quote who thought that she had escaped having him, but then he happened to be the only doctor on duty when she was having her second child, and so she had no choice but to have him. Um, And that fear, I mean, Mm. how can there be this reputation of a doctor Mm. and they still be allowed to practice? I just, yeah, I don't,
0: it'll be really interesting to see what the investigation brings out about how and why um and i think this is something that we're seeing a lot more now this culture of protecting your own yeah and it's wonderful the journalistic efforts that people are going through to to unpack uh, to uh, tear it down really you know we saw it all with the church and that sort of thing
1: this is holding holding power to account yeah and the person actually investigating um Investigating him was actually involved in the uh, Royal Commission into child sexual abuse.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: But I'm also really interested in like will uh, like I'm wondering if it will come out as the investigation unfolds. Mm. Why did he do all of this? Like, uh, you know. That was my yeah. That was thought the thought in the back of my so mind. Did
0: he think? But I, you know, part of me, I don't know why I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. But did he? Did he genuinely believe that he was doing the right thing for these women? yeah, probably not mm. I don't know it will be interesting, but mm, it's also just i think it speaks to a deeper um well one deeper thing at least that um I mean I don't think that women are taken seriously enough in yes. terms of in terms of this stuff, so hopefully now. Well, hopefully an investigation brings about a bit more of a some kind of culture of reliance on self-reporting of pain and self-reporting of discomfort with medical professionals and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, definitely. And as you mentioned that sort of the stigma maybe or the difficulty to talk with Mm. other people about what you're experiencing and whether people will feel more comfortable to say, hey, this is what happened. Is this normal? Like, yeah, is this a safe thing?
0: Yeah, Mm. yeah. Well,
1: do you have another song lined up, my dear? Yeah. Um, I will play a song by Kate. You're listening to Tuesday Brekkie. We'll be back in a
3: few minutes. <sighs> you yeah, had the audacity to leave your mental cigarettes on the kitchen...
4: And Burning Vinyl Friday afternoons between 2 and 4 here on
5: 3CR to let you know about a benefit for Burning Vinyl it takes place on Tuesday the 26th of June at the Old Bar on Johnson Street in Fitzroy four great bands Claws and Organs Bodies North and Claire Virtual. know that you're supporting a semi-decent radio program Burning Vinyl four great bands at the Old Bar Tuesday, the 26th of June.
1: And we're back at Tuesday Breakfast at 3CR with myself, George and Lauren. We're going to go now to an interview. We've got Rachel Cook on the line, who is the LBQ Women's Project Leader for VAC, the Victorian AIDS Council, here to talk to us this morning about the LGBTIQ Women's Health Conference. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. So let's jump right in. Can you tell us what this conference is all about?
2: Um, Okay. Well, I guess as the title suggests, it is a health conference. Um, It started uh, in 2015 really out of the need to address the issue that mainstream and LGBTIQ health organisations had largely been ignoring um, the issues that affect um, LGBTIQ women. Um, and so what we were seeing was pretty alarming research coming out in terms of health outcomes for women, um, things like, um, lower rates of screening for breast cancer and cervical cancer, higher rates of drinking and smoking, higher rates of anxiety and depression, things like that. Um, so basically the conference started, um, they expected to have about 30 people. They got 300, um, and it's now in its fourth year, it just keeps growing and getting bigger and, uh. So basically, yeah, it is a health conference but um it's actually a lot broader than that. So it's not if people are thinking that perhaps they're not they don't work in the in the health sector, it sounds a bit dry, it's not at all, apart from apart from looking at issues such as cancer and alcohol and drug issues and those sorts of the traditional health areas, it's also a conference which covers things like what it is to be a refugee and a queer woman, what it is, you know, issues around being Aboriginal and LGBTIQ, um, family violence in our community, um, and issues of identity. So it's a really, really broad conference.
1: Wow, it sounds incredible. And just yeah, to hear that you know, you was it three hundred that turned up to the first one? Yeah, so it was a little
2: unexpected. Yeah. Um, so, so 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 yeah. So now they have a much bigger venue. So basically, what happens is it swaps between Melbourne and Sydney every year. This year is Melbourne's turn. Um, and yeah, it actually is, yeah, it's like a proper, um, huge conference these days and we'll probably actually get way over 300 this year. So, um, you know, we have a, amazing speakers, um, women who come from not just around Australia, but internationally to speak and share their stories and their research, um, and their workshops. You know, it's, it's really varied the way the format is as well. It's not just presentations. Some things like, for example, Tina Dixon, who works in the area of being queer and refugee, she runs an hour and a half. Workshop, which is I do it in Sydney and it's absolutely brilliant just to you know the sort of insight you get um, into what's happening into, the, into those communities and the issues that we need to be addressing.
1: Wow, it sounds incredible and, and so necessary when you know as you mentioned, uh, these issues not being discussed within like mainstream health health debates.
2: Yeah, it's, it, that's been a really interesting thing for me as someone... I've, I've worked in the queer community for over 15 years but it, it, but in media and um, and to come into this sector... And, and I knew some of the research from, 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 from doing media on it, but I didn't realise actually how bad it was in terms of it really has been an area that has been overlooked by, as I said, both mainstream and LGBTIQ health organisations. But now that's really shifted... Um, like for example, we've got Gerald Rector who's the CEO of CEL who uh, sorry, CEO of Vic Health, and um, you know, she's been um, a real champion of this conference and actually will be moderating one of our panels, which is um our first panel on the first day, which is a fantastic panel, Women in Leadership, and that's um featuring women like Hannah theory. Who some of your listeners may know who, um, who runs Be Better Muslim and the Moroccan Soup Bar, which everyone loves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Hannah's yeah, just a fantastic speaker and an amazing advocate for women. Um, people like, you know, say, Akiv Doyeni, who was just voted, um, our outstanding 50 LGBTI leaders by Deloitte and Google. Um, Teresa Ravilla, who's from the Rattler Theatre in Sydney. Um, just a really varied mix of women. Um, you know, we've also got the Minister, Jill Hennessy, opening the conference, who also has expressed, you know, that she's um, really happy to be part of something that is so needed in our community. So, you know, we're all pretty excited about this event. Um,
1: yeah, it sounds like you've got some place, yeah. incredible people on board. Um, this is kind of a broad question, but I'm just wondering, what has been gained from previous conferences? Has there been much to come out of, come out of them?
2: Yeah, I think what we realised um, uh, with the first few conferences was that we, what we didn't realise was the breadth of the issues that needed to be covered. So I guess, you know, anything that's dealing with the LGBTIQ community, you're going to expect that there's going to be issues, because we know this from other health conferences and just from general research, that there are higher levels of um, anxiety and depression, there are higher levels of um, um, certain drug use, but what we didn't realise was that the breadth of the issues, it, it, it's absolutely huge. As I said, you know, um, um, the issues that face older lesbian women who came out in the 70s are very different from the issues that are facing younger queer women who, who've just come out. Um, you know, the stories that were shared at one of the conferences last year were women who are in their 60s and 70s and even 80s and the issues that they face, especially if they live in regional areas, um, um, having to deal with sometimes health organisations or GPs that maybe aren't up to scratch with dealing with their issues. So they actually go back into the closet because they become a bit afraid to actually have to come out to a GP, you know, when they're 75. You know, things like this, which, which are being highlighted now, in certain sectors of the health community, but things that we just didn't know about. So it's, um, it's great to be, you know, going over the research that we already know exists and sharing that with everyone, but it's really great to actually be hearing stories from people who just have never had a voice before.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like, you know, looking at um, the specific needs of different people within the community and different intersections of identity and how that um, impacts someone's sort of relationship to, to health.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that did come out of the, the first couple of conferences, because the, the the conference used to be called LBQ, the so Lesbian, Bisexual and Queer Women's Health Conference. And we got feedback um, from those early conferences say the name had to be broadened out to be inclusive. Obviously, the program was inclusive, as in it was including issues around trans health uh, as well, but it wasn't being reflected in the title. So, so you know, I guess, one of the things about this conference it is in it's early days it's early years, and so it is about the working group being really open and listening to um to all the feedback so so we do do that and um and try to be as inclusive um, and open as we should be. And, um, like, for instance, this year we've got a fantastic speaker, um, Naomi Fontana, who's coming from the Philippines. She's a trans advocate, just amazing work. Her work is, is recognised all around the world. Um, she's one of our keynote speakers, so we're looking forward to to um, having Naomi in Melbourne as well.
1: That sounds fantastic and great to, to hear that you are expanding and trying to make sure that it is inclusive of, of all people within these communities. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh the, the theme for this year, can you speak to us a bit about that?
2: Okay, so the theme is um, research, resilience and respect. And I guess uh, the research is fairly obvious. Um, and a lot of the, the, the work that you will actually get to witness at the conference does come from research. And it comes from research in a variety of ways. It might be research that's done um, in quite traditional, clinical um, ways, or it could be research that's done in quite formative ways. So... Some of the things, for example, uh, uh, might be based on research that has just been about going out and speaking to groups of women over long periods of time. Um, Resilience is that we know that um, LGBTIQ women have had to be very resilient over over the decades of all the issues that we've faced and the fact that we um, um, are still able to... To come together and raise these issues and, and actually empower each other by having a conference like this. So that's about you know sharing those stories of resilience. Um, and just on that about sharing stories, we actually have something called a story pod, which is a um, portable unit. Which basically it's it a pod, and you actually go in and you um and you can record your stories about anything you'd like. Um, uh, and we're actually going to make a video at the end of this. It's a fantastic way of sharing stories for people who actually won't be presenting, but they are going to you know, be attending the conference. That sounds so and cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the story pod's fantastic. Um, and then thirdly, respect. And I think that's something that we expect that is shown to our community and that we show to each other, and it's certainly something that I think also... As our conference is in the tail end of NAIDOC Week, we will be having a large um, representation of Aboriginal women at our conference, and, and that respect, I guess, is also largely due to um, those women. And um, and uh, which is be really wonderful to hear their stories as well.
1: Awesome, sounds so cool. So, how can people get involved? How can they attend? When is it? Okay. You know,
2: all the details. <laughs> okay, so the conference is in three weeks' time, or just under three weeks' time, July twelfth and thirteenth at the Jasper Hotel. Elizabeth Street, Melbourne. Um, if you just go to lbq.org.au, um, that's the conference website. Um, and or otherwise, go to vac.org.au, that's so Council.org.au to find out more information as well. But everything you need to know is on the website. And if you need to know anything else, please don't hesitate to contact us.
1: Beauty, I think Lauren is, as we speak, sharing the link on our Facebook page as well.
2: Great. i would add one last thing. Um, it, it's, um, you can go for as little as $25 for a day. So even if you just want to come along here, it's one of the amazing panels. It's totally well worth it, and I bet you'll stay for the whole two days anyway.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Rachel. It's been a pleasure. Great. Thanks for having Cheers. me. Cheers. Okay. Bye. So that was Rachel Cook speaking about the LGBTIQ Women's Health Health Conference coming up in a couple of weeks.
2: Located in the heart of Thornbury, the Islamic Museum of Australia showcases the cultural and artistic heritage of Australian Muslims. Don't miss our latest youth-based exhibition, Ways to be Muslim, and immerse yourself in a series of photographic portraits and unique personal narratives. This exhibition is hosted in partnership with Muslim Collective and the Victorian State Government and is showing until July 8th. Visit the museum website for more information. Islamic Museum
4: of Australia is a three cr supporter.
0: That was incredible, George.
1: <laughs> nice track, hey. Yeah. Um, that was, um, Susanna Bacca, who is a Peruvian singer. Mm. I think that track might be kind of old. I was trying to find out the year, but I couldn't get it. It <laughs>
0: was beautiful. Um, so on the line with us now, we have Kieran Bennett from the Solidarity and Defence Fund. Um, good morning, Kieran.
5: Uh, good morning. Hello. Hello.
0: Sorry, there we go. Sorry, the mic was just switched off. Um, thank you for joining us this morning.
5: Thank you for having me this morning.
0: Okay, so I wanted to get started um, by just talking about probably a bit more broadly what the Solidarity and Defence Fund is and, um, and how it got started.
5: Certainly the Solidarity and Defence Fund is a, a pool that people contribute to. Uh, it's controlled by the people who contribute to it um and it's there to give us resources to do things to make sure that um activists that other people that are in legal or other trouble uh as a result of standing up against racism or uh people who are otherwise targeted by the state um are not without support uh to date we've done things like um Secure uh, legal representation for people who would otherwise be unrepresented uh, after a demonstration. Uh, we raised funds to pay for fines for people who were targeted uh, where we believe those fines were unjust. Uh, but it's a it's a contributor controlled uh, democratic defence fund.
0: Right, and and so how are decisions made? Is it like a democratic vote, or is it that things are brought to your attention and the fund? Um, decides unanimously, or...?
4: Yeah.
5: Every person who contributes uh, at least $5 a month to the fund uh, is invited to participate in, a, in an online space where we make decisions, and uh, that's a, a Lumio group. Um, and uh, uh, anyone who participates uh, in that Lumio group can bring things to the attention of the fund, uh, and then there's a vote to decide uh, whether to support a proposal or not.
0: Mm. And you said um, it's related to activism. So is that, um, how? So I guess I'm wondering, um, how do you define or how do you determine whether or not something, um, whether or not someone has potentially been targeted or whether or not something mm. was, you know, a, a correct response by law enforcement or if you sort of get where I'm going mm. with that?
5: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Broadly, we, we say that we want to support people who are targeted for a bunch of different reasons. We want to support workers who are taking industrial action, at the uh, especially where the action is unprotected. Uh, people who are in trouble as a result of their stand against racists, racism and racist institutions. Uh, other groups and people politically targeted by the state bosses or far-right formations. Um, or other instances where people are targeted as a result against their stand against injustice and oppression. Mm. Ultimately, things do have to, you know, people bring proposals to the group. Uh, and what gets supported or not is is going to depend on um, the perspective of contributors in the group. Uh, but at the same time, I usually think the police are always wrong. Uh, and I believe that everyone who takes a stand against uh, racism and racist policing in this state should be supported people that we've supported in the past, uh, that we believe have been, um, and, and without commenting on their circumstances at all, uh, but yeah, perhaps, uh, we, we, we've supported a range of people that, um, that we believe have been targeted.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I do understand, um, obviously, you can't talk too much about one of the particular um, sort of calls for support that you're running at the moment. Um, but I might just read a little bit from the public um, the public stuff that you've put out. Um, so at the moment, the Solidarity and Defence Fund is standing with and supporting three young African-Australian residents of the public housing estate in Flemington who are facing police charges in connection with the Milo Yiannopoulos protest on December 4th of 2017. Um, now, I know that you can't talk much more about that, Um, but I guess my primary question is how can people who feel strongly about this support you to support or support your organisation to support these three young people?
5: Uh, There are two things that people can do. We're running a chuffed appeal um, for this particular appeal uh, and you can uh, check out our Facebook page uh, Solidarity and Defence Fund for a link to the chuffed appeal. Uh, That was necessary because the funds in our bank account uh, were well below what we needed uh, for the purposes of of solidarity in this instance. Um, But ultimately, we want to maintain a pool of funds large enough to respond uh, when people need it, so to be able to provide uh, immediate and practical support. And the way that we do that is we have a Patreon appeal um, that we invite people to contribute at least $5 a month to and that this builds up a standing fund that um, everyone is contributing to uh, to it can then collectively use to provide more immediate support.
0: Mm. Yeah, and so in this instance, we are talking about people who've faced charges for participating in a protest um, and another where police allege an assault took place. So this um, obviously falls squarely within the gamut of, of the Solidarity and Defence Fund, but also speaks to some wider stuff going on in the Australian community at the moment. Um, I guess in that context and taking a bit of a step back from this particular issue, um, why do you think it's important that people contribute to funds like this and and sort of band together um, and keep the activism going beyond the protest, I guess, or the solidarity going beyond the protest?
5: I think, like, I think it's incredibly important um, for our own principles, um, but but also for our own collective strength that everyone who participates in actions uh, is is supported and defended, and not just at the action, but afterwards. And it's the, like my personal experience of being arrested uh, at a protest and then having ongoing legal issues, um, is that I was supported. By uh, comrades of an organization that i'm that I'm a member of, but that's not that's not available to um, the to, to everyone we we invite to come and participate in a protest that we organize um, and then that gets targeted um, and I think it's really i think it's really important as uh, for me at least uh, as as someone who organizes and invites people to things to make sure that there are structures there uh, that say that we're serious about defending and ensuring that every person is defended, not just, uh, you know, in a practical sense on the streets, um, but against the, the kinds of repression that come afterwards. Mm-hmm. And the kinds of repression look like? Unjust charges, um, media campaigns targeting and demonising communities, uh, and one small but practical way that we can push back against that um, is by by having support ready, um, and and that support, uh, yeah, that yeah that that, uh, that the people that we invite don't face uh, fines that they can't pay for, or don't face uh, legal action without representation. Those are two small things, that uh, this fund tries to address.
0: Hmm. I really um, that's really interesting to hear in the context of, um, and I'm sure you're aware of. <clears throat> there was a lot of. Sort of hot air, I guess, blowing around. But media commentary and, and commentary from people who perhaps didn't agree with the anti-racist and anti-fascist protests at the Milo the Milo protests last year. People talking about, you know, activists coming into communities and sort of ruining everything and then leaving and leaving people being arrested. So I think this is really important um, for people to realise that actually that's not that's not the context under which you were operating at all. Um, and so, when if people would like to join, they can go to the mentioned the websites that you mentioned earlier. Um, and is there anything coming up that people should be aware of? Any particular protests that um, that it would be good to have community presence at?
5: Uh, we uh, coming up? Well, uh, unfortunately, it's not coming up anymore. But uh, this past Sunday, we again had an anti-fascist demonstration in the city Mm -hmm. Um, coming up on our radar. I expect that there will be more anti-fascist demonstrations, um, but also in need of ongoing support and within the context of resisting racism um, is the the camp and campaign to defend uh, sacred trees in Ararat. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'd really encourage people to support that because... Uh, at the moment, that uh, that protest encampment is successfully and strongly defending that uh, that space, and uh, there needs to be bodies to support that. Uh, but there's also uh, an appeal put out by the organisers of that campaign for re- uh, for financial resources uh, in order to um, support them and defend that campaign.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And for listeners, we've shared the resources um, and the uh, bank account that you can donate to on our Tuesday Breakfast Facebook page. Thank you so much, Kieran, for joining us this morning and for all of that insight. It was really, really
5: interesting. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So that was Kieran Bennett from the Solidarity and Defence Fund. You are on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast and we will be right back.
5: I'm Black Betty, and you can join me for Black Noise Radio each Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Join me each week as I serve you up a deadly fine offering of all things black as we explore black Australia and everything fabulous it has on the offer. We'll check out and see what's making black news locally and from right around Australia. And we'll explore all things Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and the deadly solid culture and people with a look at community news, views, music, culture and the arts. Hope you can join me for Black Noise Radio featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, culture and the arts from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. That's
2: me, Black Betty. I'll see you Thursdays at 2.
5: not negotiate with my native title government or anyone on on our culture, on on our land. You know, if people say, oh, you're going to finish up with nothing, well, then so be it. But at least our hearts will tell us that we did not sell out our country and our culture and heritage for a few scumgy dollars.
0: Subscribe to 3CR so that your dollars support Indigenous voices and the struggle for land justice.
4: For Aboriginal people, the greatest grief of all is seeing the country destroyed.
0: And somewhere along the line, we have to realise that we don't actually have the right to do that. That nothing we've ever done has given us the right to do that. Now, you know where I stand on this, because I'm so simple-minded. I think we've just got to admit that this is an Aboriginal country. Just do it.
1: You're listening to Tuesday right here at 3CR. Going to jump into some community announcements now. The first is about a new website that's been set up by the Victorian state government, inviting people to ask questions about Aboriginal Victorians. It's called Deadly Questions. Mm. Have you heard of
0: it? I did see um, Briggs is one of the people. I right. saw him on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I saw some posters and I'm like, what is that? And I oh. did some research. It seems like a cool, yeah, a cool way of trying to educate people. Um, so the premise is that uh, many white Aussies don't have a very good understanding of Aboriginal Victorians' histories, cultures, connection to place, and hopes for the future, and perhaps they don't feel like they can ask, or they don't have anyone to ask. And it's also connected to initiatives to advance Aboriginal self-determination and form treaties. So it's sort of part of that. Whole project, I guess. Mm. Uh, so you can go to deadlyquestions.vic.gov.au to ask your question. Love it. Yeah. Um, a public meeting is being organised by the Victorian Socialists to discuss the housing crisis of skyrocketing rents, wait lists for public housing, and the rise in homelessness. It's called Build Homes Not Prisons, which refers to the $700 million new maximum security prison that will allegedly be built in Lara. Mm. Okay. Um, So that's all I have for community announcements.
0: Ah, okay. So we're just trying to get um, somebody from the Jiapurong Embassy on the line. So bear with us for another minute while we keep trying, and we'll be right back. Right, right back.
4: My name is Selva Cooler jelvin and I am fighting for my life. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have to flee your own country, spend days or weeks in a leaky boat on dangerous rolling seas and then arrive in a new country where you are terrorised even more? Well, that's the life confronting millions of people in this world who have no choice but to seek asylum. All these people want is a fair go, but here in Australia, our government in our name treats these desperate people with cruelty and inhumanity here at 3CR we aim to give these people a voice a chance to speak out and let you know that they are just like us people with hopes and aspirations people who deserve to be treated as we would expect to be treated if we found ourselves in this position refugee radio is the voice of refugees 10am every sunday at 3cr 855 on the am dial to say
5: i'm not a worthless human being because no one needs a worthless human being
3: My family need a worthwhile human being
1: Oh, welcome
0: back Hello. to Tuesday Breakfast. <laughs> so we um, we have been unable to get a hold of Mariki Onis from the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance, but um, she is down at the embassy. So Jalpurang Country is um, near Ararat. Um, and basically... Um, a bit of a rundown of what's happening is that um that Vic Roads are planning on destroying um or bulldozing some sacred life-giving trees um, they were known as I think birthing trees um, so they have a big hollowed out space in the middle um and they sheltered women who were giving birth um and they are over 800 years old and they're very very sacred and very important to the um to the owners of the land um and so Big roads have apparently another option they can make. They can build a road that takes a different route and is actually cheaper. Um, but for some reason, I'll leave that some reason to your personal inference. Have chosen to try and um, to bulldoze these trees instead. So um, there's been a camp there for gosh, nearly a week now. I think people have been sitting there um, refusing to to move so that they the trees can't be the trees cannot be um, Bulldozed is the word I'm looking for, and there's been a really um, intense phone calling and emailing and letter writing campaign from concerned members of the community. So people have been writing to Richard Wynne, who is the state planning minister, um, Daniel Andrews, obviously the premier, um, the head of Vic Roads, and all of this is happening in the context of Victoria just signing treaty legislation. So yeah. um, it's a really you know i mean it's such a such an interesting time at the moment um for Daniel Andrews to just be being so um so racist yeah basically
1: and you think just from like the publicity perspective. Mm. They wouldn't want to, you know, continue mm. with something like this, given the fact that they're trying to show that they're, you know, Absolutely. doing and I, all these good things. But
0: I guess, you know, you can market the heck out of treaty legislation and hope that nobody listens to a protest um, outside of Melbourne CBD. Um, well, you know, they've got another thing coming. Yeah. People are listening.
1: And so in terms of what people can do in Melbourne, is it writing those letters and getting in touch with...
0: Look, they need bodies on the ground. So if you have the capacity to get down to the embassy, um, people should go down. Um, If you can't, and it's fine if you can't, obviously, the things going on, um, you can donate funds to keep the embassy going because they're not planning on moving until there is a solid guarantee that the trees will not be destroyed. Um, so people have been camping out there for ages now. So, um, sending some money down. Also, if neither of those things are things you can do, and as well as, um, calling the offices of Daniel Andrews, Richard Wynn, and Vic Rhodes. And there are phone numbers on, um, I've shared some stuff on our 3CR Tuesday Breakfast Facebook page. I might pin the post so it sits at the top of the page. Um, so you can make those phone calls, you can send those emails, and just letting people know that, um, we 're not blinded by the rhetoric that you know the the promises that come with the treaty legislation. Um, we actually see what you 're doing yeah. and and it 's not okay. This is an election year as well, so make sure that they hear you
1: yeah, and you 'd think that given that there is another way to do it and it 's cheaper, surely this is something like this yeah. is a fight that can be won
0: hopefully, yeah, um, so I think that this is what Kieran was just talking about, but that um we all have to be in this and we all have to stand in solidarity because this is really important. Um, and I did just want to share one statistic that um, that sort of, I think last night it came up on Twitter in the context of all of this, but um, we are talking about, there's all of this rhetoric happening at the moment around, you know, this Royal Commission into John Dale and treaty legislation and all of that, but Senate estimates yesterday revealed that 100% of the detainees in Northern Territory Youth Detention Centres are Aboriginal. And I think I might leave it there that we have such a long way to go in this country um, that, you know, celebrate the wins but also don't look away from the losses and keep fighting. Yeah. Mm. So you have a song to go to?
1: Yes. I'm going to play a track by Fatima. It's called Biggest Joke of All. Except this song doesn't seem to want to play, so I might try another one instead. <laughs> oh, sorry about that, everybody. We're going to play Fatima. Alright, we'll be back in a sec.
3: Yeah. Somehow this don't feel real. I need to pinch myself. Because anyway, another year or two. Till I see you again. I want you for my ultimate royalty.
0: So in the absence of a live interview from the embassy um, on Chapurong Country, we have an interview that Taneen Ernest williams also of the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance, um, did on Friday on, I believe, Green Left Weekly um, and so we're going to play that now.
6: Um, so my name is Tanine Onus-Williams and we are on Hurundjeri country at the front of Richard Wine's office. And what are we doing here? Um, so we've gathered here today to show support and protest the removal of sacred trees on Japarong country. Um, at the moment, Vic Rhodes um have a building of a new road in the western highway and that building that road will desecrate um there's two sacred trees but also there is over 700 archaeological sites that are there and there's lots of sacred uh, scarred trees as well so we're just trying to try to save as many trees as possible
4: what does what the, these sites mean to you Given that the Victorian Parliament has just uh, passed the treaty
0: uh, legislation, I think it was yesterday.
6: Yeah, it's pretty disappointing. Um, obviously, I have my own views on the treaty process. Um, I was sitting on the working group, but it's very apparent that they're not that they're not centering Aboriginal sovereignty, seeing as though they voted 79 against and three four. Um, Recognising Aboriginal sovereignty, so it's very clear that the government is acting in good faith for for Aboriginal people here in Victoria. And again, um, at the moment, obviously, they're going to be destructing an Aboriginal women's sacred site. And you know, um, NAIDOC week because of her weekends coming up um, in a week, and it's pretty fitting that they're going to be. Destroying an Aboriginal women's site as well, and also after the death of Eurydice Dixon, um, this it is the same as destroying our land. is the same as impacting violence in our bodies. So, yeah, that's how I feel about the desecration of those sites.
5: And can you just describe how many how many people are here right now?
6: Um, I think there's like maybe like a hundred, maybe more people here. Um, it's really deadly to see lots of people of colour and, like, lots of the queer community come out, especially down in Japeron country. Um, the queer community and the people of colour um, who have been supporting us in, the, like, the last week of protesting the removal of the tree um, has been really deadly. So, yeah, it's good to see them all out here. If if we lose these trees, what do you think that represents to all of us in the society we live in? Um, I think it's... We'll, Well, I think it's going to say that Aboriginal land and Aboriginal sovereignty and our culture um, isn't valued in this society, and we kind of already know that. History tells us that that's true. But also, this is the treaty process as well that's saying that they want to right wrongs of the past, and here we are today protesting the destruction of our, our culturally significant trees. Is there
4: anything else you want to say?
6: No trees,
1: no treaty. So that was the brilliant Tanine Onis-Williams speaking about the uh, desecration of sacred life-giving trees as a result of VicRoad's Western Highway duplication project. Mm. No trees, no treaty. mm. Mm. So it's been a good show
0: today. Hey. It has been a good show today. Thank you to everybody for listening and thank you mostly to all of our guests. Yes. So we had...
1: Rachel Cook. Rachel Cook, yeah. Talking about the um, the LGBTIQ Women's Health Conference coming up in a couple of weeks and why you should go check it out.
0: Which, by the way, definitely going to. Looks yeah, awesome. Let's do it. Let's yeah. bring our mics. Yeah. <laughs> and we also had Kieran Bennett from the Solidarity and Defence Fund join us to talk about um, the fund's current efforts and how you can support them. Um, you can listen back on 3cr.org.au forward slash Tuesday hyphen breakfast, or you can wait for the podcast to come out and you should
1: subscribe to our podcast. Yes. Yes. Definitely. You can listen on your iPhone.
0: Yes, you can. Or your Samsung, I assume, but I wouldn't <laughs> know about that.
1: Have a great week, everybody. And we'll be back next week, hopefully, with more of our, get more of our presenters. We really presenters, hope. Who we miss very mm. dearly. All right. And uh, stay tuned for Accent of Women. hmm Thanks for listening.